Welcome to the Vineyard Cleveland podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For further information and other resources, please visit vineyardcleveland.org. Jesus says he and the Father are one. The Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect community together. Even before time had started, the three members, if you were, of the Godhead were one. Were one. And as time started, we see from the very first pages of Scripture, God's heart for community God forms Adam and he says to Adam, he says, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. The kids and I have been enthralled with this show recently on Netflix. It's called Alone. Have you seen it? Are you familiar with it? No. Oh, it's amazing, you guys. You'd love it. And they take these, you know, group of 10 survivalists. And they drop them off in the middle of British Columbia, middle of nowhere. And there's not a camera crew that's following them around. It's just them. They're their own camera people. And they are alone. And the goal is to outlast everybody else, right? Typical survival show. For a hundred days alone in the Canadian wilderness. And if they can last, they win a million dollars. It is not good. Through, through the course of watching this show, I can attest to you that this scripture is true. It is not good for man to be alone. That's nothing to say of self-preservation and sustainability, but it is not good for man to be alone. And then through the course of the Old Testament, and then when Jesus hits the scene... We're reminded over and over and over again that God's dream is community. God's dream is for us to be together. And there's been a rip in the fabric over the course of this past year and a half. There's been a rip in the fabric, no doubt, since the beginning of time when men and women fell. It's nothing new that the enemy is seeking to to tear community apart because that's God's dream for us. In Ephesians 1, 22 through 23, Paul writes this. He says, and God placed all things under his feet, Jesus' feet, and appointed him to be head over everything for the church which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And then Paul again in Romans 12, 4 through 6 says this. He says, for just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. Isn't that beautiful? We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. We were built for connection. And that's one thing that we want um, to hear in this series throughout the summer, throughout the course of the message series, is that we've all lived through the frustration of virtual connection. Anybody out there zoomed out yet? Tired of Zoom? How frustrating because it's kind of like connection, but not really. There is no substitute for face-to-face. And I want to encourage those of you who are 
tuning in online to come back. When you're ready, come back. Make that leap and come back because there is no substitute for face-to-face. There is power in what I said, what what I kicked off the morning with in, in just singing together. You can't get that anywhere else. That is uniquely reserved for followers of Jesus. Yeah, it's great that we hang out, we have free pizza together, all of this. But the act of singing, just singing the truth of the word together... It's powerful this morning, hearing us singing the doxology. There is no substance. You know, the song that only we, the church, have been singing for millennia. I mean, how old is that song? When the people of God gather, we sing, praise God, from whom all blessing flows. Praise him, all creatures here below. There's power in that when we sing together. Something transformative happens. We're not just singing together. We're being the body together. Yeah, there's no substitute for face-to-face to know and to be known in authentic community. Even the most introverted, get this, even the most introverted of personalities, even the most introverted of personalities need real life connection with others. I love what Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. says. And of course, he's saying this about the state of race and ethnicity in America in the 1960s. But I feel like it can be applied to us today in the church, not only in race and ethnicity, but also when we talk about community generally. You know, his thing was to be about building the beloved community, the beloved community. And listen to what he says in the 60s about community. He says, whatever... Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. This is so key. Check this out. I can never be what I ought to be until you are what you ought to be. This is the interrelated structure of reality. And what King is saying here is that when it comes down to brass tacks. We need one another. It's not just that we say we need one another. Like we can't live, we can't breathe without one another. We need one another. I need you. Not in a creepy pastoral codependent way. But I need you. Vineyard Cleveland? Feels good to hear that, yeah? We need one another. We need one another. We're on mission together. There's two threads in the church that when it comes to connectedness and you're feeling connected to the community, one is just that. The two threads are this, community and mission. In the church, community is inseparable from mission. There are two threads that are woven together that cannot be unwoven. Like I said, if the church is just community and it's not mission, it's not a church. I'm sorry. And likewise, if it's just mission, if we're just doing stuff for Jesus, but there's no sense of community and feeling connected together, it's not church. I'm sorry. You can't have one without the other. Who said that? Archie Bunker, Love and Marriage. Am I quoting a 70s sitcom now? Oh my gosh. So, 
So we're going to take a look over the summer at the formation of the early church, the book of Acts. And what we're going to do is we're going to see instances or stories in the book of Acts when the church was in its infancy of community, connection, and mission. Hearts reunited. And today, what today is, is sort of like a 30,000 foot view of um, community, connection, and mission. And so we're going to be in the book of Acts, we're going to be in chapter 2 in the book of Acts, verses 42 through 47, if you wanted to turn or swipe there with me. And as Ben and Jason and I were meeting, we sort of saw this passage as like the grand statement that was what God was speaking over the early church in its infancy. And it's important to remember for context, as Ben reminded me when we met, that the early church did not have anything figured out. They really didn't. They really weren't just like going around like, I wonder what our church could post on social media to gain a few more church members. They weren't going around thinking like, what's the latest strategy for evangelism that church A is doing so that we can apply it to our church and see growth? They weren't really concerned about church growth in that way. They had nothing figured out. And in fact, they're similar to where we are today because did you know that the early church was launched out of crisis? This was a crisis time that these people were experiencing. If you think about it, Jesus had just ascended into heaven. He had just died. The leader of the whole thing had just died. You've got a crisis on your hand when the main dude dies and no one's there to replace him. They're like, what, what gives? And then he ascends to heaven, right? And so he's gone. Jesus is gone, gone, and air quotes. And so this organism is launched out of crisis. A similar place to where we find ourselves today. Regathering, reemerging from this time of trauma, from this time of crisis. It's important for us to dig in to how the early church saw themselves and saw what they were putting their hands to. And so we read this in Acts 2 42 through 47. That's the context. They, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Into prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done through the apostles. Keyword All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued. That's another uh, devoted word there. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. 
Now, there's a couple of things, like many things, actually, here that we could talk about in our time remaining together. And we could talk about the four kind of things that stand out that the early church did. And we will, just in in some haste. But the main thing I wanted to point out this morning is that word devoted. That word devoted. And what it means to be fully devoted to community. Fully devoted. Luke mentions it twice. This Greek word is mentioned there at the top in verse 42. They devoted themselves. And then again, later in verse 45, I believe, every day they continued is another word for devoted. And it's true that the church today, in America, in the Middle East, in Cleveland, Ohio, Vineyard Cleveland, the church is at its best when this picture categorizes who they are. This is when the church is at its best. When the local church is being this picture, no one can stop it. And so the question this morning, coming off of a year and a half of isolation, of lockdown, of this underlying anxiety that we all sense this, this radio, this low hum frequency of anxiety that's been placed upon us that we didn't ask for, that we just found ourselves in. The underlying question that I want to ask and challenge this morning is, do you want to feel connection? And if you say, yes, I want to feel connection, that should be all of us, right? Because we all long for connection. We all desire connection. Then the follow-up question would be, where is your devotion? Because like community and mission, it's pretty impossible to separate connection from devotion. Think about your journey in the past. Think about spaces, community spaces that you've been in before. Can you think of a time where you've been completely, where you felt completely connected to a people larger than yourselves, a a vision larger than yourselves? Were you devoted at that time? I can't think of a time in my history, in my journey, where I was at a place and I'm like, man, I just feel so connected here. I don't want to do anything about that. (laughs) Do you know what I'm saying? When Luke writes about this word devotion, he's not just talking about like dabbling our toes. And one feeds the other. Connection feeds devotion and vice versa. You can't have one without the other. If you feel disconnected this morning... I would challenge with the question, well, where is your devotion? We're devoted to a lot of things, aren't we? We're very distracted in the United States of America. One thing that's been positive about the year, the last year and a half is that it's like limited distraction in our lives. To just focus on a few things, that's been really helpful for many of you this morning, I know. Just to get a chance to catch your breath and to refocus and to rehone and to eliminate distractions so that you can just be with Jesus and just be on mission together. Some of the most powerful times in my journey, listen, over the past year, have been serving together with the church at Seeds of Hope Food Pantry. 
together on mission, experiencing connection with one another. And though we couldn't see one another's faces, our hearts were one together. And our hearts were unveiled together as we carried groceries. We were on mission together. And I just use Seeds of Hope because it's such a practical example. You're actually like picking up cans of food and putting it in and serving people with the love of Jesus. Connection, connection and devotion together. Why do we do that? Well, because we're devoted. We're devoted fully to Jesus, his kingdom and his mission. Yeah, this word devotion in the English language, when we say we're devoted, it's a combo of, of two root words. And the first word is, is, is de, de, you know, it's, it's uh, this connotation of, of low and away. And then voted is not like voting in an election, it's a vow. So think marriage, taking a marriage vow. Low in a way, a promise, a sacrificing of the self. Low in a way, committed to Jesus' cause. Committed to his mission. And in the Greek, this word devotion is constant. It's ongoing. It's not like something that you, you did a long time ago. But there's this present. It's not a past verb. It's a present Active verb, to be devoted, to be continually re-anteing, continually re-devoting yourself. They were continually devoting themselves to the ministry of Jesus. And a lot of scholars will look at this, some churches will look at this and they will say, well, yeah, I'm... I'm hearing what Luke is saying in Acts, and I'm devoting myself to Jesus, and I've got the blinders on, I'm limiting distraction, but I could care less about the church. And that's not what Luke is saying here. If you claim to follow Jesus, he is the head of the church, but it would be like saying, I love the head, but the rest of the body is ugly. You can't do it. You can't separate Jesus from his church. It's impossible to love Jesus and hate the church. That's a really tough one, isn't it? With some church baggage maybe saying that in the past. To say, to say I love you Jesus and I love your church. Gosh, I've caught myself in situations not loving the bride. I love you Jesus But the church, I can take or leave. No, no, no. What Luke is saying here and what God's heart and dream is for us is that if you say you love Jesus, if you claim to love Jesus, you have to love the church too. I'm sorry. But it's like you have to, the church comes with it. And not just the church like the global church, but the local church where you find tribe, where you find connection, love the church, because it's in the church we experience Jesus. And not just the local church, but the global church. Those crazy Pentecostals that you judge, love them. Those stiff Baptists that you can't stand, love them. They're part of Christ's body. 
You can't have one without the other. It's a good word for somebody this morning, yes? <laughs> and so what did they devote themselves to? This group of followers of Jesus, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the apostles' teaching. And what was the apostles' teaching? Well, the Great Commission, Jesus instructed his disciples, the first 12, to he taught them to observe all the things that I commanded you, says Jesus in Matthew 28. He promised them the Holy Spirit would remind us of all that Jesus has said. The apostles' teaching, the gospel, the good news, that the kingdom is coming, that love wins in the end. And some of the uncomfortable things included in the apostles' teaching that with all affection and loving the global church as a whole has forgotten about conveniently, namely the crucifixion of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins and the resurrection of Jesus for hope eternal. Some of the messy stuff that the church conveniently leaves out sometimes and says, hey, just join our team. Well, no, 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 no. It's not just join our team. It's that Jesus Christ died on a Roman cross. He was murdered and we put him there. And yet he still loves us and forgives us of our sins. And then God the Father, through the power of the Holy Spirit, raises him from the grave, from the dead, to show that life wins in the end and death is defeated and death is swallowed up in the victory of Jesus. Those are uncomfortable things that the global church needs to be reacquainted with, quite frankly. Because these are the fundamental foundational truths on which why we're gathered here this morning. But a lot of churches don't want to talk about it. Too messy. Devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Devoted themselves to fellowship. The fellowship. All bold. The fellowship. So the local church. This popular kind of word in the last 50 years, koinonia, has the definite article the or the. Just as the other three disciplines mentioned here, Paul used it to speak of the fellowship that Christians enjoy with Christ. God is faithful, we're told in Corinthians from Paul, through whom you were called into the koinonia, the fellowship, of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The koinonia, the fellowship. The uniqueness of what we're doing here this morning. And when I came to Vineyard Cleveland six years ago, thanks for reminding me, Mike. Um, some of you who were with us in those days, so brash. I wish I could stick a big fat clown shoe in my mouth at some different points. You guys remember me, fiery words and bravado and who is this young guy? And and I'd say crazy things like, it doesn't matter if you come to church on Sunday morning, just live your lives for Jesus Monday through Friday, Monday through Saturday. It matters what happens outside the church walls, not in here. I could care less if you're here this morning. Ouch. Ouch, that's the church, man. I wish I could take that early 30s Evan and slap him around and say, don't say that. Because you're talking to the bride, man. 
What we're doing here this morning is special. What we're doing here this morning is holy. What we're doing here this morning is sacred in the pages of Scripture. The koinonia, the gathering. Yes, live your lives outside of the four walls of the church. But what we're doing here this morning, through worship, through giving, through being taught, teaching one another, is irreplaceable. And completely unique on the face of the earth. You can go to a political rally. You won't find it. I'm sorry. You won't. You can go to a sporting event. You won't find it. You may find hints of these things sprinkled in culture. But you'll never, ever, ever find what we're doing here this morning. It's unique in the face of the earth. And it's beautiful. And so I want to, out of that heart, I want to encourage you having known a few things over the past six years, come on Sunday morning. Because you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it online. You're not going to find it through Zoom. You're not going to find it through any other activity that's, that are going to be starting to reemerge here in culture. You won't find it at a concert. You won't find it anywhere. This is not a concert, what we're doing here this morning. That's one of the main reasons why Sarah has chosen, after reemerging, to keep worship simple, just an acoustic. Just, when, all, when many other bands, uh, churches, God love them, God love the Big C Church, are saying, put the big band back on stage, make it a show, turn on the lights, put the fog on. We're saying, nope, we've been hiding behind a mask for a year. And there's power when we take the mask off and hear brothers and sisters sing. These songs that the church has been singing for thousands of years. There's power in that. And so that's intentional, just to keep it simple. So this matters, what we're doing here this morning. This matters eternally in the heart of God. And it's not, and I hear you, I I can hear it. You know, it's not some manipulative thing of like, oh, come back to church. It's not that. It's not. Just over the course of the past year... One of the ways that God has really grown me is to eternally value what it is that we're doing here right now. That there's just no replacement. It's really lonely teaching to an iPhone in your living room when the world is locked down. It's like there's no lab. (laughs) It's all theory. It doesn't mean anything. But this, this is the good stuff. And this is where God, this is where God prunes us. This is where God changes us in the fellowship, the koinonia, the gathering of the saints. That's what's going on. This is where he shapes us. This is where city changing ideas happen. This is where lifelong friendships start to form. This is where spiritual fathers and mothers bless children This is where hearts are changed and drawn into a love of Jesus. Could anything be more precious on the face of the earth than the gathering? And whether churches decide to do it on Saturday night or Sunday morning or Monday evening, the gathering, this, what we're doing, the koinonia, matters eternally. Man, spent way too long on that one, but totally worth it. Totally worth it. The breaking of bread. The breaking of bread. Scholars aren't sure whether this is a, is a, um, 
specific reference to uh, the table, to the Eucharist, to communion, the bread and the wine, or whether it's just a general break, hey, break bread together. They're not really sure. But either way, either way, it's important for us to remember. Remember Jesus and his death. You know, remember the table together. And have you ever sat down to a great meal with other followers of Jesus? Isn't it amazing just to sit down and break bread together? Just to break bread together and to eat a meal together. It's, there's something of the Holy Spirit. There are some cooks in here today, Sarah being one of them. I mean, one of the main ways I experience the Holy Spirit through Sarah is her baking. I mean, have you tried her cookies? Have you tried her cake? It's like the, yeah, amen. Like the Holy Spirit. It's like, yeah, add some sugar, you know, mix with some eggs and flour. Here's the big helping of the Holy Spirit and just douse it in the ingredients. Mix it up and serve it. Have you ever sat down to a great meal together and experienced the Holy Spirit just in eating together? Yeah, there's power in just sharing a meal together. And to the prayer, again, the definite article, the prayers, actually. They devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayers suggest that these may be set times of public worship. Again, there's this corporate sense that we are unique because we gather together. We gather together in one accord, in one heart, in one mind for the prayers. What do you do together? We pray the prayers, hey. We pray the prayers. God, you are faithful. God, we love you. Jesus, help our Father. This is the reference. Here it is. The prayers. When they're talking about the prayers, can you imagine these people, the early church, our Father. Yeah. Remembering all that Jesus, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power forever. Amen. What you just did here this morning is what the, you feel that? It's what the church has been doing for 2,000 years. And as God ordained in the pages of scripture, they devoted themselves to the prayers. The prayers. And Luke says that all who believed were together. This is geographical, but it's also a nod to the heart. They were all together. They had all things in common. They continue this thread, Luke does, of unity that we've seen before in Acts in chapter 1, and we'll see again as we journey through this series together that they were all together in one heart, in one mind. They weren't just taking up space in one location, but they were together in heart and mind. In verse 46, day by day, continuing steadfastly with one accord, 
with one mind. Here it is again, unity in that word devoted from verse 42 shows up again in verse 46, day by day, continuing steadfastly. This word devotion in the Greek, it's got this hint of like, of like, um, perseverance and coming and struggle of coming out of something that's been difficult. And even though you're faced with difficulty, it's all in this Greek word of devotion is that though you're experiencing hardship, you press on, you don't give up church. We are the not giving up people. You don't give up and we press forward. We continue steadfastly. We persist. We pursue God no matter what happens. And breaking bread at home, they took their food with gladness and singleness of heart. There it is again, unity in three consecutive verses. The breaking of bread in this verse is almost certainly ordinary meals. It's not the the Eucharist in this sense, but it's just sitting down at the table with others and breaking bread. Praising God and having favor with all of the people. We long to be a church who has the favor of all people. Not that we want to be liked on Facebook, but that the favor of God is clearly seen to the world. That Vineyard Cleveland is a place, is a people that are out to serve the city, not dominate the city. That we bend low to serve the needs of the city and to love one another. And that the world sees that the favor of God is on this place and on these people because they're different. They serve, look how they love one another. Look how they love the city. That's what it means to have the favor of God on a group of people experiencing, praising God and having the favor of all people. And this is the most beautiful part of, of all when we end here is that the Lord added to the assembly day by day those who were being saved. And I just as a pastor, as a follower of Jesus, you as well. This is life, and this is bread right here. The Lord added to the assembly day by day those who were being saved. The disciples were doing everything right. They were taking care of each other, living in harmony, worshiping God. But, but, it was the Lord who added to their number. The Lord added to their number. Old Testament theologian, Walter Brueggemann, I love him. Uh, he's, he's the author of The Prophetic Mind. He, he writes this. He says that um, the early church that grew so rapidly, quote, did not devote themselves to evangelism. Shocking statement. Brueggemann says they did not devote themselves to evangelism, but to preaching and fellowship to worship and acts of caring. Isn't that beautiful? And it was the Lord. God honored their faithfulness, he says, by adding to the assembly day by day those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number. We got this word from Vineyard USA for our church that the way that the Lord is going to grow our church is that it's going to be his timing, his way. It's not some evangelistic strategy that I or you or anybody else comes up with. But it's the Lord. Always in church growth. Always when a community grows, when the favor of God is on a people, it's the Lord who adds to their number. Sure, the apostles and the early church may have been doing signs and wonders and healings were happening. But it's the Lord's power. 
power through them, the Lord's power through us, the Lord added to their number. The church grows. The church is nurtured, cultivated by the head of the church. And that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He's the head of our church, Vineyard Cleveland. He's leading our church. We're safe in his hands. And he's got work for us to do. Our hearts and our hands. To serve the city around us. To love one another. To forgive one another. These are all just precious works and gifts from the head of the church to us. That we get to love one another. That we get to forgive one another's offenses. These are all beautiful works that God has given us, the church, to do in these times. We're going to move into a time of ministry together. Jonathan's going to come and lead us into, into worship. And I just want to take a ta- time to um, be the church together.